0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to morning prayers. At this time, I would invite you to stand as you are able and join in the responsive reading of Psalm 119, which is found on page 60 of your Black Appleton Psalter. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord.
1: Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart.
0: Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways.
1: You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently.
0: Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in the keeping of your statutes.
1: Then I shall not be put to shame, and I may
0: Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word.
1: Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise.
0: My lips will pour forth praise, because you teach me your statutes.
1: My tongue will sing your promise, for all your commandments are right.
0: Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts.
1: I long for your salvation, O Lord, and, and your law is my delight.
0: Let me live that I may praise you, and let your ordinances help me. I have not to stray like a lost sheep. See, that
2: reading from Eugene Debs, addressed to the jury, 1918. When great changes occur in history, when great principles are involved as a rule, the majority are wrong. The minority are usually right. In every age, there have been a few heroic souls who have been in advance of their time, who have been misunderstood, maligned, persecuted, even put to death long after their martyrdom monuments were erected to them and garlands woven for their graves. Chattel slavery has disappeared, but we are not yet free. We are engaged today in another mighty agitation. It is as wide as the world. It means the rise of the toiling masses who are gradually becoming conscious of their interests, their power, and their mission as a class who are organizing industrially and politically and who are slowly but surely developing the economic and political power that is to set them free. These awakening workers are still in a minority, but they have learned how to work together to achieve their freedom and how to be patient and abide their time. Therein ends the reading. Eugene Debs spoke these words nearly a century ago after two generations of capitalist ascendancy and socialist insurgency, a generation before workers won the right to organize and unionize amidst the Red Scare repression of World War I and during an espionage trial where he would be convicted and sent to prison. This may seem like ancient history, to those of us who toil in the tumultuous early decades of the 21st century, but Debs still has much to teach us. For three weeks now, Harvard's Dining Services workers have been engaged in a historic strike, the first of its kind since 1983. At stake in this battle are two core demands, livable annual wages and affordable health care. Though often maligned and misunderstood in their own right, the workers and their demands are reasonable. Given Harvard's expansive endowment and celebrated capital campaign, they are not the greedy ones. As a longtime resident over 20 years of Quincy House, I benefit immeasurably from the labor and the talent and the friendship of my brothers and sisters in our dining hall. From the beginning of this strike, I have tried to do my part to ensure that they get a fair contract, one they deserve, and to stand in solidarity with them until that happens. When I was a graduate student at Columbia in the 1990s, soon after I graduated from Harvard College, the campus community had to figure out where it stood, where we stood during multiple labor strikes. For my part, I often taught off campus in a church basement in Harlem in an elementary school classroom in the back room of a bar across the street from campus. Three weeks ago, I asked my students this question. Have you ever had to decide whether or not to cross a picket line? Most of them had no idea how to answer that question because they have never had to consider it. But all that changed on October 5th. I learned not to cross a picket line a long time ago, not from some Ivy League professor, but from my parents and grandparents, all of whom had to strike at some point to demand their dignity as working people. The only reason I can now pay this lesson forward to my Ivy League students is because my folks walked the picket line. I have the privilege to teach because they had the courage strike. That is why I moved my seminar from Quincy House dining hall when the strike started. I will not teach about slavery and freedom in a classroom that requires me to cross a picket line to do so. This is a difficult and defining time to teach at Harvard. Last Sunday night I learned about plans for a student walkout at 12.30 p.m. last Monday in the middle of my American protest literature lecture. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) As a vocal supporter of the strike and the workers, my position was clear and I knew that my longtime teaching colleague, 15 years running, John Stauffer felt the same way, even though he expresses himself differently than I do, dating back to earlier campus battles over the living wage and the Iraq War. But our differences are one of temperament more than ideology or strategy or pedagogy we came up with a plan we would talk about the history of labor strikes after all we were lecturing on upton sinclair and eugene debs and emma goldman this week and then walk out with our students at 12:30. truth be told i'd gone to bed uneasy clear as i am about my position on the strike i have not stepped foot in the quincy dining hall where i've eaten for 20 years in three weeks. My uneasiness, not unlike the uneasiness that so many of the faculty here feel in this moment, stem from the fact that I have two core values that are in tension at this moment. A responsibility to support the striking workers on the picket lines and a responsibility to teach my students in the classroom, many of whom support the strike but not all of whom do and some of them have not yet figured out where they stand. I woke up the next morning thinking, it's easy for me to teach to the converted. But I also have an obligation and a genuine desire to teach those whose views differ from my own. Isn't that the point of what we do? And if so, now, when? As I said to my students last Monday, this is a teachable and learnable moment for everyone involved, regardless of where we line up right now. And so we revised our plan. I would start class by explaining our thinking pedagogically and also providing some context so that the students could link what was going on with the strike with the issues that we've been discussing in the class. I would then walk out with the students who had already decided to do so. And then John would stay in class and continue to lecture. We always divide up our lectures about the history of labor protests as a way to set up our next joint lecture on Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. This is one of the advantages of team teaching. We can play different roles during times like this. Before I left class though, I made it clear that we are trying to give them both an academic and a moral education, especially in this moment, that these things are not mutually exclusive but complementary, and that our approach is meant to inform their decisions, not just now, but in the future as well. And I assured them that there would be no expectation, there would be no judgment, and there would be no recrimination in our classroom. This was the kind of education that I received as a Harvard undergraduate when the AIDS and apartheid and earlier generational debates about whether Black Lives Matter were the issues of our day. At 1230, I walked out of class. Only the second time I had ever done so in the history of my teaching career, the other was the day before the Iraq War started. I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't somewhat excited and deeply moved when the vast majority of our students walked out behind me. We joined the rally at the John Harvard statue where I read the faculty position, 150 signatories strong in support of the striking HUD's workers. We heard from students and workers who were fiercely eloquent in the way that they described what is at stake for them in this strike. One of my favorite moments was when I realized that the largest student contingents at the rally were from protest literature and Act 10. You know it's a historic day at Harvard when students from such different classes can stand in solidarity during a historic labor strike. As exhilarating as all of this can be, I still wonder and worry about the students who did not walk out and who never will, and also the students who won't and don't agree with those of us who support the strike and perhaps most of all the students who may, for whatever the reason, have felt coerced into walking out with their peers and professor. What of them? This is indeed a difficult and defining moment to teach and learn. There are no easy questions or answers. My prayer this morning is twofold. First that the HUD's workers, our brothers and sisters, can soon return from the picket lines to the dining halls with a fair contract. And second, that in the meantime, we will all afford one another a fair hearing so that we can continue to teach and learn during these contentious times. Only then will we be able to resist the temptation to luxuriate in our own freedoms even as others struggle to earn theirs, only then will fair Harvard have earned its rightful claim to its commitment to Veritas.
0: Please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, forever and ever. Amen. And now I would invite you to stand as you are able and join in the singing of our hymn, Lord God of Morning and of Night, which is found on page four in your bulletin. now may you go forth into the world in peace, opening doors to others, and remembering always the doors that have been opened unto you. Amen. Amen.